chapters 8 and 9 of this letter have to do with giving. The Apostle Paul had been at odds with the church in Corinth, but through a severe letter that we do not have, they had repented, and the relationship between the Apostle Paul and the church in Corinth had been restored, and we see that in chapter 7. Then in chapters 8 and 9, he goes back to a task that they had started a year earlier on giving an offering for the suffering saints in Jerusalem. And he brings it back to their remembrance. And that's what we have been looking through because there, there are some that I have listened to and heard that speak of these two texts as basically footnotes of Paul's ministry and things that were just going on that he wanted to reestablish. Uh, I believe that it gives us a pattern of what Christ is expecting from us and what the body of Christ does uh, in, in its in its purest form. So if you would, please, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning at verse 10, we'll read the text and ask that God would teach us. I give my opinion in this matter, for this is to your advantage. Who were the first to begin a year ago not only to do this, but also to desire to do it. But now finish doing it. Also so that just as there was the readiness to desire it, so there may be also the completion of it by your own ability. For if the readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what a person has and not according to what he does not have. For this is not for the ease of others, And for your affliction, but by way of equality, at this present time, your abundance being a supply of their need, so that their abundance also may become a supply for your need, that there may be equality, as it is written. He who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little had no lack. But thanks be to God, who puts the same earnestness on your behalf in the heart of Titus. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he has gone to you of his own accord. We have sent along with him the brother whose fame and things of the gospel has spread through all of the churches. And not only this, but he has also been appointed by the churches to travel with us in this gracious work, which is being administered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our readiness taking precautions so that no one will discredit us for our administration of this generous gift. For we have regard for what is honorable, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. We have sent with them our brother, whom we have often tested and found diligent in many things, but now even more diligent because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker among you. As for our brethren, they are messengers of the churches, a glory to Christ. Therefore, openly before the churches, show them proof of your love and of our reason for boasting about you. It is superfluous for me to write to you about this ministry to the saints, for I know your readiness 
of which I boast about you to the Macedonians, namely that Achaia has been prepared since last year and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I have sent the brethren in order that our boasting about you may not be made empty in this case, so that, as I was saying, you may be prepared. Otherwise, if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to speak of you, will be put to shame by this confidence. So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they go on ahead of you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift so that the same would be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. Father, help us to hear. And as we look through this text and as we understand this text, Father, let us look around and see the urgency of our day. Let us see the things that have the eternal quality to it, the eternal investment, the dealing with the souls of men and women uh, in our community, uh, in our congregation. But, Father, even those outside of our country that you have shown your faithfulness as we have labored around the globe. Help us, Father, to have ears to hear. Help us to be sensitive to your will. Father, help us to see integrity in giving, integrity in stewardship, so that we can understand that when we're giving, we understand that it is to your glory, to your praise, and it's your purpose and your power. Thank you, Lord, for your word, for the Apostle Paul, for your precious bride, your church, and the hearts of your people as they move to assist the saints of the Most High God. Your glory and praise. Amen. We're looking at what I call integrity of stewardship. The integrity of giving. Uh, we are inundated on a daily basis to give. To You name it, somebody wants you to give. And when, when I, I look at this, I, I can take this text, chapter 8, 10 through 9, 5, and, and I can look at it, and I've got nine points there that when I look at ministries... People who are wanting money, wanting support. I make sure all nine of these are fitting. Okay? And I mean, if I got eight out of nine, I'm not interested. And you guys all know where my basis is. Okay? What are you doing with the book? All right? That, that is foundational for me. All right? And, and, and if, if that ain't in the issue, I'm not interested. Okay? When I look at through these... I've been telling you as we've been going through this text, chapter 8 and into 9, it's a heart issue. I've already showed you biblically there's no such thing as the tithe. Okay? Uh, I've already showed you that giving is as God leads your heart. Okay? But I can tell you, as the Apostle Paul says right here, it is to your advantage. All right? He who sows little reaps little. He who sows bountifully Reaps bountifully. And, and I don't know, you know, we can all say we believe it, but I, I just, I don't understand. I think there's times in our society is uh, so pounding on us that we hold tight to the things that are temporal instead of loosely, and if need be, uh, I will shed them for the will of God. I looked at it and we, we seen that, it, that our giving in verse 10 is voluntary. It is as God moves your heart. Paul makes the statement that I give my opinion in this matter. Uh, this is for the sake of review. 
but yet it is to your advantage. In verse first part of 11 there, giving is faithful. It is of a faithful heart. Finish it. Finish what you started. What your heart was led. It's funny. I see people, uh, I guess maybe it ain't funny. Uh, but I've known many people who will step into a quote-unquote ministry or a service and they don't see it to completion. I, it breaks my heart as I look around and see so many people who have started so strong and finished so lousy. Uh, and, um, and, it, and it covers the gambit. It, doesn't, it isn't individuals, it isn't men or women. Or it, you know, I've seen pastors who don't do it. I've seen elders who don't do it. I've seen lay people who don't do it. You know, they get all fired up. They're all jacked up. They're all ready to go. And then the things of this world distracts them and they become absolutely useless. And, uh, and, and that's a tragedy. And the Apostle Paul brings that up. So if there's integrity in this stewardship, then because of the heart and God moving the heart, it will be seen to its completion. It will be faithful to its completion. You give as one has. It's not TV evangelism. This is gives what you have. There are some people who God blesses with much. There are some who God blesses with little. You give according to what God has blessed you with. If God is moving your heart, then he will provide what you need to give. God does not need to operate on MasterCard or Visa. Okay? He, he doesn't need it. But he does need willing hearts. He needs, it's a heart issue. I've been trying to get people to understand that. You give as one has. And then we started last week moving into 13 through 15 of chapter 8 on what I call balances. When I look at all of this, I'm always looking at it because God is measuring the heart. God says that I have poured my love into your heart by His Holy Spirit. Okay, that stands out in this world. It is odd to this world. This world wants for itself. And we'll call it love, but the love is actually, I love me and I like what you can do for me. All right? That's how it works. But there's a supernatural change in a believer because the Spirit of God moves into the heart. And now you have the ability to love as Christ love. So God is measuring the heart. And you know what? It is easy to see what you love. Okay? I, I, you can tell me that you're hiding it, but you can't. Alright? It is very clear. What is it that you are devoted to? Do you ever think about that? You can spot that. I mean, was it last week, uh, last Sunday? Them people sitting at that Broncos game and it's zero? Really? Well, warm clothes. There ain't that many clothes. I would have had to set the stadium on fire. But they're devoted. And I'm sitting there, devoted? That's stupid. Okay? You know that that thing's on TV? You can see better. You can sit in your jammies. What are you devoted to? What do you put your trust in? 
Okay? It is easy to see what people put their trust in. What is it that you are submitted to? Because all of those will be what you are obedient to. And God will measure that heart. Okay? Verse 13 is where we looked at last week. And part of 14. For this is not for the ease of others. And it's for your affliction. But it is by way of equality. And then he makes that statement the same. At this present time of your abundance being a supply for their need. So that their abundance also may become a supply for your need. That there may be equality. Okay. This is not biblical socialism. Okay. Some like to think it is. Or maybe it's biblical communism. You know that we're all going to have the same. Or we're all going to have this. We're all going to. No that is not what this text says. And the, the reason is. Is that if you look at it. We translated this thing Equality. Okay, and immediately everybody, hey, we are hammered with equality. It ain't the word. Okay, um, it's iphotase in the original language, and it's isotaste is the science of. Okay, and everybody's like, oh, well, I'm feeling better already. Isotaste is the study of the balance of the planet Earth. Okay, the dealing with the water mass and the earth mass and how it is all equal so the sucker don't wobble. Okay, have you ever thought about that? Um, I I do some work on motorcycles and I mountain balance tires. Okay, and you spin this thing at a high rate of speed and then my balancer will stop and says you need to add a quarter ounce weight here and you spin it again and you add a quarter ounce weight here and all of a sudden then it comes and you got my little zeros on there and everybody smiles and I'm happy and I throw that thing back on the motorcycle because the last thing in the world that you ever want to do is be going down the highway about 65 mile an hour on a motorcycle with a tire that's out of balance. It's like riding a basketball. Okay, and it's a little bit on the unnerving side. I have at times spun a weight when I lost the weight on the road, and all of a sudden the bike starts going to dunga 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 dunga, and you're like, well, and that's special. Okay, what happens if the planet Earth gets out of balance? You ever think about that? Wobble, wobble, wobble. There would be a, to- a moment in time when everybody would be up in the air. There'd be a moment in time when everybody would be down on their knees in a ditch. When they'd be back up in the air and be down. And it'd be kind of interesting for about four minutes. And then after that, you're going to say, can we spread out? All right. There is a science that speaks of knowing and weighing the elements of the planet Earth Knowing that it is perfectly balanced. That's the term that is used here. When you read this text, he says it's not for the ease of others and for your affliction, but by way of balance. Balance. We looked at this, and this is still kind of in review. Uh, Last week I showed you 2 Thessalonians 3.10. It said, if one is not willing to work, what? Shouldn't eat. Uh, You do not have to be a Greek scholar to understand that text. If the person is lazy, 
Then let them learn fasting. Okay? And see if maybe through fasting, they will become a little more productive. Good philosophy. But we also looked at 1 Timothy chapter 6, 17 and following, speaking of rich people. Let them not be conceited in their wealth, thinking that, look what I have done. But let them not put their hope in their wealth, but let their wealth be seen in their good deeds. Give to the needs that are there if you have the wealth. So it's funny because... Paul's not telling Timothy that it's a sin to be rich. It is a sin to put your confidence in it. It is a sin to boast on it. And it is a sin to see a brother in need and not take care of the need. But people will take advantage of it, correct? And when they take advantage of it, you can smile at them and say, if you're not willing to work, fast. Sounds more spiritual, doesn't it? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, is it, it's that simple. So you, you see this, all right? And, and I wanted you to see that because this is important, all right? But then in verse 14, at this present time, your abundance being a supply for their need, the brothers and sisters in the first megachurch, Jerusalem, were destitute. And the Gentile churches... Corinth in particular, Corinth was a wealthy city. It was called a free city. If you got freed from Roman slavery, which about 90% of the population at any given moment was a slave under the Roman government, you got free, you got a plot of land in Corinth, and you could start your business and do whatever you wanted to do right there, and it was given to you for doing your slave time. So it was a wealthy place. Very, uh, what do we call it, entrepreneurial. All right. And he says, at this present time, your abundance, Corinth, you've got cash. He's already compared it in first verse to the Macedonians, a very poor, very poor, heavily taxed area. The Macedonian area, that's the northern part of Greece. In the Macedonian area, you would have had uh, the church in Philippi, the church in Thessalonica and the church of Berea. Okay, but they're very, very poor. They live day to day. Day laborers is what you would have called them. Okay? The Corinthians were not. That is Achaia, the southern part. Okay? But they were the only ones that were down there. Okay? He says, your abundance, your wants are, are great because you have been given much. Okay? And he says, I don't want you to think that I want to make the Jewish church in Jerusalem rich. But they lack. They were people who were selling their assets. And they were giving them. To the brothers and sisters of the Corinthian church. The church in Jerusalem struggled just with basics. The feedings. You had a a lot of widows that were there. They called them the Hellenistic Jewish widows. Uh, that was Jewish women who had lived in the Gentile area, had now come back to Jerusalem, had become believers in Jesus Christ, but they were widows. So they would have been disowned by their families. And that's when you see the birth of what we call deacons. 
Stephen was the first deacon. He was a man of God. And they served the tables because they didn't need the apostles to be taking away from the word of God and the prayer. And so you would have, basically when you see deacons, everybody says, well, I'm going to be a deacon. Deacon, you know what that is? It's a table waiter. All right, yeah, sign me up. Okay, and and that's what they were looking at. And they were lacking. But the Apostle Paul says here, he says, you have an abundance and their needs are great. But understand this, things change. Things change. Riches, you're not going to believe this. Riches can disappear. They can disappear without you even knowing it. And I'm not talking about identity theft. I'm talking about 2008. Everyone's 401k became a 101k. Right? And I mean, you didn't do nothing. All of a sudden, the stock market says, we're leaving now. Okay? And everybody went, wow, now what? Okay? There was this great wealth of trillions of dollars to just poof. All right? So you can be in a place of abundance and then all of a sudden wake up in a place that's not. The Corinthians were in a place of abundance. The poor Jewish believers in Jerusalem were not. It's what we call the uh, the fortunes of life. They change. Okay? Um you, you've heard the, the phrase, the, the tables have turned. And there's times that that happens. There's times that that happens. I remember years and years and years ago, 79, uh, I run into this little German guy. Uh, uh, it's uh, Ludwig von Gopenheimer. Uh, two iron crosses he received uh, on the Eastern Front. The second one was awarded to him by the guy with the little mustache. But anyway... Wonderful guy, wonderful guy. And he told me, <clears throat> I was working at a plant up in Inverness, and he told me, he says, uh, uh, I was single, uh, had just cashed out a bunch of stocks to move to Colorado, uh, been working for a while, and he says, I have a deal for you. And I was like, all right, what is it, Ludwig? He says, let's go down. And we went down to this place, it was a bait shop. And I'm like, I'm going fishing. Okay, and he introduced me to a guy, and he started selling me Krugrands. Okay, now they were illegal. Okay, because that's South African. That was apartheid. Okay, um, and he says, I can get you, how many Krugrands do you want? And so I took all of my assets that I had that was liquid and I bought Krugrands. Okay, it was great. You know, it was amazing. I was spending about $110 a Krugrand. Okay. This was August of 79. Does that ring a bell? We had a little incident with an embassy in Tehran. Okay. I sold those Krugrands in December for $900 a coin. My abundance changed. Okay. Now, all that was, was listening to this little German. He says, you need to buy this. And, and I bought him. And I was like, yeah, I got a bunch of South African coins. Yay. Okay. But, you know, 
it changes. Now, I took all that and bought a house and lost my shirt on it. Oh, well. <laughs> so I went from, looky here, why did I get rid of my little coins? Because now look at what I'd have had. But anyway, um, then I was quite a bit younger and patience was not a virtue. Um, so, you know, but I, see what I'm trying to get at? You can do things and you say, well, I made a plan here and this is exactly how it works. And God says, good planning, bad timing. Okay. What happens to the church in Corinth if persecution breaks out there? It was coming. The storm clouds of, of government persecutions against the Christians was growing at the writings of these letters. The persecution was at full tilt in Jerusalem. Okay. The, anybody going to Christ was hated. I, I had a friend of mine who uh, had, was raised conservative, uh, Orthodox Jew. Uh, when he came to Christ, his family had a funeral for him and put a headstone in the family plot in Baltimore. Never acknowledged his existence ever again. Just because he accepted Christ. Okay? What happens to you if persecution breaks out on the church in the United States? Please do not think it can't happen. Okay? What happens? What are you going to do? And it's coming. Don't ever kid yourself. What are you going to do then? That's why I keep telling all these trips I'm taking to the Russians. I'm saying there's coming a time I'm going to need your support. (laughs) So you can send your rubles back to me. Listen. When desperate times show up, where will you turn? Because it is to your advantage. See, the saints will step up to help the saints. They always have. They always have. Paul is telling the Corinthians, he's telling you and I, if you have an abundance having supplied their lack they would supply your lack when it comes to your house. And let me tell you something. It will come. There will come a time. Now, we have this wonderful little thing in the United States that we don't want to ever acknowledge, but it is rampant. Okay. Um, uh, it, it is translated in the original text. Uh, the word is spelled Epsilon Gamma Omega. Uh, it's always translated into English as a personal pronoun. It's pronounced ego. We have an ego problem in most Americans that I hate asking for help. Okay, but there's every once in a while God says, I think I want to overcome your ego. Okay, and he has amazing ways of doing it. But there's no doubt in your mind that he did it. Okay, because you can get to your end of your rope and you won't give up your ego. He'll cut the rope. And he'll do it every time. Why? Because he just wants your undivided attention. At that time, 
all of a sudden you're going to start finding the saints are really awesome. Okay? And, and, and we, we'll all be looking forward to it. They will step up. Paul is trying to show us here, this is how it is in life. There's a balance. It's a heart issue. And the issue is my heart is wants to help the brothers and sisters that I will spend eternity with. That's awesome. But you know what? We do have this little problem. Well, I don't want to ask for help. Suit yourself. Because you guys, a lot, some of you guys have known me for a long time. When it comes to me reading your mind, <laughs> that always worked out well, didn't it? <laughs> I think he turned the wrong page. Okay. But do you see what I'm trying to get at? People have to ask. That's why we have the body of Christ. Why? Because then we know each other. We hang out with each other. We help each other. Even before the person knows they are in need of help. At this present time, your abundance being a supply for their needs. That's what we're doing in Russia. I'm not training people to speak Russian. I'm finding Russians who love the word of God and help them handle the word of God so that they can go to their people. And I don't have to worry about whether I put my hands in my pockets. They don't like that. The preacher's got his hands in his pockets. Well, they're cold. Well, that's disrespectful. Really? Then why do they put pockets in your pants? They don't want you to lay your Bibles on the stools. They don't want your Bible to be where your butt's going to be. And that's what they'll tell you. So you're always standing there like this. Which keeps your hands out of your pockets. All right? You never sit down and pray. If the pastor prays, everybody stands. It's disrespectful. Okay? See, I don't need to be trying to figure all that out. So I invest in the men of God over there who handle the word. Show them how to read this thing. Use this thing. We moved into an area that was the size of the Carolinas in Virginia. Had two churches when we started in there. We just opened our 17th. Okay, and I know that these guys are textual thematic expositors. And what does that mean? I don't know, but I read it the other day and I thought, man, that sounds cool. <laughs> I'm going to be one of them when I grow up. Okay, you see what I'm trying to get at? That's why we do it. They're poor. They are dirt poor. I mean, I, I am still trying to figure out how was this country a superpower? You get out of the three big cities... You go back 200 years. And you're like, what was this? Paul says, I want to illustrate this. I want to show you this balance. Okay? Why? There is an equality. There is an equality. And he starts it out there in verse 15. As it is written. Now, remember, the word that I gave you is translated equality, but it literally means balanced. Then he says, as it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much. And he who gathered little 
had no lack. That's fascinating. But it's like he says here, as it is written. Okay, so I know the Apostle Paul was a Pharisee, a Pharisee, a Hebrew of Hebrews, tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the eighth day. Uh, He was born in Tarsus, which is Turkey, uh, which had a university. If you were born there, you had free college. So he had probably gone to college, but he had moved down to Jerusalem to study seminary. Okay? So he's an intelligent man. He quotes a text. He quotes Exodus chapter 16, verse 14. But you need to know the context. All right? That would be textual thematic exposition. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven, verse 4, from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether or not they will walk in my instruction. Okay, the Jews have been taken out of Egypt, crossed the Red Seas, and now they were down what they call the Sinai Peninsula. All right? Of course... The Jews being completely different than our attitudes were grumbling. We never grumble. Okay? We never complain about anything. And they said, you know what? It was better if I'd have stayed in Egypt and had my pots of stew and my bread and be full all day, every day, instead of coming out here in the wilderness and starving to death as he completely destroys all of us. Well, if you go look at the actual history of the Jews in Egypt, it wasn't quite that pleasant. I don't know what leeks are, but I'm thinking I'm not going to sign up and eat a bucket of them. And they were living on leeks. And they were complaining that they were living on leeks. And, you know, I've done my little research on it. Whatever it is, is is not on my food idea. Okay? It's, you know, it's lentil soup. Okay, you know what lentil soup is? If you don't, you are truly blessed. Okay, if you do know what it is, then you're like, yeah, sign me up. I want a pail of that. That's what they were having in Egypt. Now they're complaining that I want to go back to that. Yeah. Here's what the Lord says. I've heard the grumbling of the sons. This is verse 12. I've heard the grumblings of the sons of Israel speak to them, saying, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am Lord your God. So it came about at the evening that the quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew on the ground. Okay, so the quails show up. Now, I like quail. If you haven't eaten quail, you don't know what blessed is. But they're very good. But it takes about 400 of them to get a full stomach. Okay, because they're about that big. And that's if you roast the whole thing. (laughs) But anyway, look what happens, though. When the layer of dew evaporated, behold, on the surface of the wilderness, there was a fine flake-like thing, fine as the frost on the ground. When the sons of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? Okay, so I have come to the conclusion. We don't know what it was. Why? Because they ate it and they didn't know what it was. 
Okay, the dew had gone off and here it was, this fuzzy stuff all over everything. Kind of reminds me of the first guy who ever ate an oyster. Why? Was it a bet? What, somebody dare you? You know, here I've got all of this stuff laying on the ground. Let's eat that. Really? Well, God said he was going to provide. Was that his? It was a fine thing. It was a flake thing. It was like frost on the ground. They said, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. They're wandering in the wilderness. Whatever this stuff is, it is not a plant and it is not an animal. We don't know what it is. Okay. You know what I think it is? The original angel food cake. Tell me I'm wrong. I love angel food cake. I am not allowed to have it. But I love angel food cake. And I'm thinking, God, look at my angel food cake. And um, that's what I think it is. Moses said it was heavenly bread. Here's what he says. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it every man as much as he should eat. You shall take a homer apiece according to the number of persons each of you has in his tent. And the sons of Israel did so. And some gathered much and some gathered little. Okay. Now, I've watched a lot of people try to understand what that means. It's really not that hard. Um, if, if you took, say, the twins or uh, David, who's going to gather more? Some people just carry more. If you take someone who's elderly, they will not take and carry as much as someone who is young. Okay, so some would gather much, some would gather little. There was a large amount. A homer, uh, a homer would basically came out to what a full day's food for an individual is. If you go back to the original writings. Okay. Read this on. Sons of Israel did so. They measured it with a homer. And he who had gathered much had no Excess, and he who had gathered little had no lack. Every man gathered as much as they should eat. The younger people would not be able to, I mean, children would not be able to gather as much as an adult. Elderly people would not be able to gather as much as young adults. Okay, verse 18. They measured it. They gathered as much as they had Okay. They want it and it lasted as long as possible. Now then, they do the same thing that you and I do. Okay? Let's be realistic. First day, there it all is, right in front of you. It's covering everything. Right? Ain't that what we do? Wow, look, it's right there. But I'm smart. He said, I'm going to take care of you every day, did he not? But I'm smart. Who can trust this? I'm going to file some of it away so I will have food for tomorrow. Really? 
Moses said to them, Let no man leave any of it until morning. Okay. What they had, where did it come from? What you have, where did it come from? Do you trust Him? Or do you store it up for a rainy day? Verse 20 says, They did not listen to Moses. And they left, and some left part of it until morning, and the worms ate it, and it became foul, and Moses was angry with them. How many times have you stored up in your cupboards only to watch it expire? You know what you're saying? I don't trust you. That's what you're saying. And he says here that no one had too much. No one had too little. Some gathered little. Some gathered much. All was measured out enough for each one to have exactly what they needed. See, that's the principles. That's the principles of the body of God. The Jews were learning to trust Him. Let me ask you a question. Do you think those principles fit the body of Christ? Well, according to the Apostle Paul, they do. Because his comment to the Corinthians was, as it is written. And he quotes this text. Some have more. In the body of Christ. Some have less in the body of Christ. But it is to make sure that one another's needs are taken care of. Why? Who provided it? Are you sure about that? You don't sound that sure to me. Well, I think God did that to me. I don't, I don't, was it the Sunday school teacher? I don't know. My God is Safeway. No. <laughs> Moses says, eat it all. Why? Because God will care for us. He's trying to tell the nation of Israel, as he's telling, and when Paul quotes it to the Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians, he says, why do you have a fear of the future? Do you have a fear of the future? Listen, we can find stuff on the ground. Look at the body of Christ, the dynamics that are there. I, you know, I, I had people at times, uh, at one time I had several families living in my house and they weren't paying any rent, they weren't buying any groceries and I had just taken a third cut in pay. And God provided, but it showed up in different ways. You know, miraculously, look, a half a beef. Okay? There was a stretch there. We were eating better. (laughs) Anyway, we won't go there. Okay, but I share that with you because, you know what? You and I have an ego problem. You may sit and say, on Sunday, no, I don't have an ego problem. Yeah, you do. 
You're American. I've seen you. I know how it works. You don't want to ask for help. Okay? That's fine. Then fast. Okay? But I also look at it and I say, you know what? God has placed us by His mercy and grace into the body of Christ so that we are our brother's keepers. We look out for each other. We try to take care of each other. Moses says, ease it at all. Don't be afraid of the future. You can't eat half of it and save the other half. Although I do like salsa as leftovers for breakfast. Sorry. Moses is telling Israel that God has got it covered. Paul is telling the church that God still has it covered. And listen, when you think that you've got to store it away and hold on to something, what you're saying is, I have distrust towards who? Okay? They learned the lesson, verse 20 says. They ate and it disappeared. Gather it for the day, eat it for the day. All right? That is the same principle the Apostle Paul has given the Corinthians. Is the same principle the Apostle Paul has given the church today. Here, you've got it. Who, would, who gave it to you? And you think you've got to hang on to extra why? Because you don't trust God to provide more? That's why Paul refers this to the Corinthians. That's why Paul refers this to you and I this very day. Why? Giving balances the body. Balances the body of Christ. There are those in the church who have much. There are those in the church who have little. Okay? We used to have a a lady. um, What the heck was her name? We got her church. Her chair's in your office. Sarah Carty. Frail. Uh, She couldn't sit in these chairs, so um, she, she bought a church that had arms that she could sit in and used to sit it back here where Aaron is and she sit sit back here and her health kept getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And I remember she got put down in the the Brooks side. Uh and uh I remember when we were still doing Emmanuel's Child Stars, uh she, she sent a note from the Brooks side up and said uh, I can only afford to buy one star. And every year until her death she'd buy a star. And for her that was it's a fortune. I mean, they're $25. But she'd do that. And, and uh, I'd take her down to the Lord's table first of the month and, and all the rest of it. And, and every month I just watched her get worse and worse. But that lady always knew when it was getting Christmas. And she says, are you still selling them stars? <laughs> I said, yeah, yeah, I am. She said, I want a star. And uh, even it toward, the, I think, her last two stars, she couldn't ride them. Uh, her, uh, she, she just didn't have the ability to ride them. So... Uh, I'd write her name on it and give her the star that she could pray for that little Russian child. And then I'd take and send the other one. Why? She gave according to what she had. But she gave because she was balancing to them poor little kids who don't have nothing. Gather it for the day. Spend it by the day. Be done with it. You know, I watch uh, people trying to figure out their estates and things like that. Uh, I just went in and talked to a lawyer this week, and I'm sitting there going, you have got to be kidding me. So they said, well, if something happens to you and your wife, what are you going to do? And I said, punt. Um, 
<laughs> I ain't worried about it. <laughs> you, you guys deal with it. And, and so Paige says, well, if something happens to me, I says, then there won't be any issue because I'm spending every nickel. And there won't be like an inheritance thing. So my children don't really have to sweat it. So I have half a plan. Okay. <laughs> and everybody laughs. <laughs> Those who know me, he ain't kidding. <laughs> He'll time it straight out. Then I'm going to get me a Stuart Roots beer and an angel food cake. <laughs> and get ready to see Jesus. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what Paul's trying to tell us is that everything you have came from God. Whether you have little, whether you have a lot, came from God. It doesn't mean that somewhere in the course of that, you didn't mismanage it. Okay, I, I, I'm not going to let you off of this. Okay, you don't want to work? Don't eat. Alright? But we have a tendency to mismanage it. But what I am saying is that in the body of Christ, the priority of the church is to make the balance for those who have little to help those coming from those who have a lot. And listen, everybody you talk to is convinced they don't have enough. Okay? You're just deceiving yourself. Don't worry about it. All right? Because you all have enough. I've traveled internationally. I know what it's like to see people who have little. All right. And the poorest person I ever run into in America is wealthier than most of the people that I've traveled international with. I mean, I remember riding a train and where's the bathroom? And the lady showed me the bathroom. I opened it up and there's a hole in the floor. And I was like, right. <laughs> I'll hold it. <laughs> You know, and that that's no, what if I fall through? <laughs> what I'm trying to say is that God has placed all of us together to bring balance. We help each other walk. There's you know, um golly, if I had a nickel for every time I changed light fixtures over at the Salentines. Okay, and, you know, they always want to pay me, but no, that's just something I know how to do, and I can change these. Now, if, if it gets bizarre and they want me to, <laughs> no, I ain't doing that. Okay, but, uh, you know, you help out. There's certain things that I know how to do that some other people don't know how to do. Uh, I had to move this great big steel safe, and J.J. knows how to move that. <laughs> okay, and so I knew, called J.J. J.J., you can do this. Okay, and J.J. did it. And I was like, mercy. <laughs> well, is there anything else? Can... Yeah, I need to kind of move my house a little to the left so I can get a better view of the mountains. God has given us an abundance. If you're an American today, you have an abundance. You may not feel like it, but you do. What Paul is telling the Corinthians and telling us is the same thing that Moses was telling the nation of Israel. God will provide your needs. Please make a note. Needs. Okay? That's how God wants the needs of His children to be met. Why? His children. Okay? Now listen, this is basic needs. We take care of one another. Okay? We help one another. All right? So, integrity of stewardship is, 
I know that it's giving it's voluntary because it's from the heart. I know that integrity and stewardship is giving that is to completion. It is faithful because it is from the heart. I know that you give according to what one God has given you, what one has. Why? Because it's still being moved by the heart. And it gives balance to the body of Christ because our hearts should be the balance, the body of Christ. This church, and I'm probably a little different than most of you in this church. Uh, this is the only church I've ever been in my entire life. I've never been in multiple churches. This is it. This is my family. And it has been for, uh, I don't know, 30 years. Okay? And this church brings me balance. All right? Why? Because it's got my heart. That's what we're looking at. God is looking at the heart. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the amazing things you do. Father, thank you for balance. And Father, thank you for providing to each and every one of us so abundantly. Lord, I just praise you. Uh, You are doing exceedingly abundantly beyond what I could have ever dreamed of. And yet you're not done. Um, I stand in all of that. Father, help each of us. Help each of us die to self. That it is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. Father, deal with our egos. That we know that help is there and you will be glorified in that. And Father, help us to have the right heart for all of these things. And Father, may we give in accordance to the graciousness of you. To you and you alone, my King. In Christ's name, amen.